Hello, and welcome to the Nick Lugo Show. Today, you are going to experience Norman Plotkin. He is the most spiritual of all the hypnotherapists that I have met. He goes and explains really how deep our subconscious mind goes and how really influenceable we are. And well, he's helped so many people in so many areas in so many ways that it's just it's just mind-boggling. The stories that he's going to tell you, the stories that you're going to hear and experience are just incredible. And well, I just, I'm happy that you get to experience them. I'm happy that I got to experience them. And well, without further ado, enjoy Norman Lotkin. You know, I had a business coach. She said, you got to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want to learn how to be a podcaster in order to be a hypnotherapist. And then podcast guests came along and I signed up and now I'm on, you know, one a week, somebody else's it's, you know, you get to do all the work. I just, <laughs> I just show up, hang out in the green room for a little bit. And you know, clients. That's it. Wow. That's pretty wonderful. I know. I know. That's one of the best thing about podcast guests. Like I spent essentially this entire morning and a big part of yesterday, just researching, okay, who the hell is Norman Plotkin? And I get all this information on you. I'm like, holy crap. I'm, I'm a public figure. <laughs> and that's, that's why when people in psych, you can always tell the clients, there's, there's a ton of stuff out there about me. There, there's even some lingering stuff from when I was a lobbyist, you know, um, things I wrote, you know, articles I wrote, uh, you know, so if you, it doesn't take much, you can find out all about me. The, the internet's a wonderful thing. If, and especially if you've done anything in the public, you know, domain. And so I'm always amazed at how little research the clients do. But anyway, glad you were able to wait a little research that your clients like hypnotherapy clients. Yeah. 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 I know. Right. It's I mean, just basic stuff. The basic stuff. Um, my website is my name. <laughs> Google my name. I am my brand. You know what I mean? It's like when I'm, you know, they see the Google ad when I was running Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. That was really dumb. You know, I just those people, people on Facebook that you know they, they're surfing at two a.m. and they oh what the, no, that'd be kind of neat. And they, yeah. they wouldn't show up. They weren't committed. It wasn't you know. But Google ads, people are searching for me. They're searching for hypnosis and hypnotherapy, and yeah. and it's a lot better. But well, even, they, even they don't do. You know, I've got a landing page. My my Google consultants created a landing page, and it and it's not a website. It's just a bunch of copy you know, that's designed to hook them, you know, it's marketing copy. Yeah. And so few people go to Yelp or, or just search my name or whatever. Anyway, glad you're, glad you were able to do a little research. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing, you know, and this is like the biggest thing. So I'm personally, I'm at Indiana University. I'm trying to start a little hypnotherapy practice, you know, just basic, like, you know, hypnosis for productivity for college kids. Beautiful. Right. Yeah, like super simple, nothing crazy. But the problem is there's so much ignorance that goes around. You know, it's like, you can make me cook like a chicken. Like, am I going to lose control? Like all these questions we know the answer to, but. Yeah, I know. They've seen TV shows in Hollywood and Get Out. Man, when Get Out came out, it was real. I had to do a lot of damage control. Really? Everybody, thought I, everybody thought I was going to take them to the sunken place. And, you know, <laughs> like. You know, you know, it's kind of funny. That's why I wrote my second book, Mastermind, Master Life. It's about what is it? What does science say? Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah. 
so tell so explain explain you know what is the subconscious mind first of all how powerful is the subconscious mind i think that's the biggest question well it's everything it's your ios it's your operating system it's it's put in place it's laid down from zero to eight and you mirror and match and sponge everybody that you come in contact with and that informs your your programming and that's your your operating system and um you know it's tied you know there's four brains there's the reptilian the amygdala there's the limbic or the emotional brain and um you know the amygdala is uh, autonomic it's um it's it's autopilot it's all the things it's your breathing it's your heart rate it's your temperature it's this homeostasis you don't you don't think about these things right and then uh the limbic brain is the emotions and emotions um emotions are long lasting emotions you could want to kill somebody for 10 years whereas the neocortex the feelings you know uh that feeling of wanting to kill you if you pass and you know, I'm being I'm being drastic here, but you know what I'm saying. So, um, so that feeling of wanting to kill you passes in ten minutes, right? That's the emotion. That's the feelings. The emotions can stick, and it can be ah, I hate, I hate that guy, right? And then, um, and then the prefrontal cortex is the youngest of our brains, and it's it's the creativity and the imagination and, and analysis and all of these great things. So, um, so. You know the the subconscious mind is um, you're you're triggered into the autonomic nervous system, um, and that's what puts you into hypnosis. Um, and so, you know, if you're told as a child, money doesn't grow on trees, why can't you be more like your sister? Yeah. These are the these are the things that echo in our mind, in our operating system, and anything any attempt to deviate from it will not be very successful. You know, um, also, you know, a couple things. Um, uh, you, it's it's really hard and difficult. The change is very difficult. You know, Dr. Joe Dispenza will tell you that you got 60 to 70,000 thoughts every day and 90% of them are the same as yesterday. And so um, and the, the other thing that happens is, you know, we have these fearful experiences and our, our subconscious mind will develop behavior as a response to it and as, as an adaptive uh, um, defense mechanism. And the threat goes away and it's long gone, but the behavior as an adaptive behavior persists and it may no longer serve us and it's really difficult to get rid of. Um, the other thing is uh, some fascinating stuff from Dr. Kelly Brogan, Kelly Brogan, MD. She's a functional psychiatrist and has some great stuff, which she'll, she'll tell you about um, the fact that humans are born with a disproportionately large head yeah and as a result we don't walk most animals almost all animals walk are up and walking within a couple of days uh humans aren't and they rely on their caregivers for uh, for the first year and a half you know it's very likely that they won't survive uh, um outside of the care given by their caregivers and so what happens is they can be subject to a great deal of trauma I mean, circumcision and just one example, but there's lots of other little traumas. And as a matter of survival, the the infant begins to realize that they must identify with their captors, and um, uh, and you know, um, and so what happens is, as an adaptive um, uh, measure. Uh, we can we can identify with the people who oftentimes torment us and so so you know we grow up in the, within this big stockholm syndrome 
paradigm oftentimes mm-hmm. even you know even with loving parents they don't get it right and it's it can be you know difficult and, and traumatic and so you know alcoholism the drug abuse um just you know personality disorders and it's difficult life is difficult and so so we end up we end up uh with this codependency and you know mommy medicine and daddy government like you just fall in line and anyone who's uh, outside of that um it it poses a threat to your survival yeah Yeah. so So you just gave me so much there i definitely do want to break it down and i think that's all the content we're going to need for the podcast just breaking down what you just said in six minutes i'll follow you i'll follow your lead so one of the just crazy i think this is the biggest problem in terms of first of all, getting people to be hypnotized and also understanding the wonders of hypnosis, you know, is this illusion. It's the biggest illusion that we're being run by this new part of our brain, this neocortex, this conscious awareness that we have. And while we really don't understand the the sort of, well, operating system that runs in the back and yeah, just sort of explain, you know, like what the hell is really going on here? Okay, it's uh, imagine the iceberg, right? The iceberg, the tip is above above the water, and that's our conscious mind. That's logic, reason, analysis, uh, decision-making, and willpower. That's what we think is in control, but that's not what it's. That's the tip of the iceberg. What's really controlling us is is the subconscious mind, which is 95% of um, what's going on with our brain activity. Yeah. Um, And so, um, so what we really have to understand is these patterns like the body loves homeostasis if you have a temperature it's going to do everything it can to fight its way back to 98.6 and you have you you have to run and escape something your heart is going to then go back to your 60 56 58 60 beats whatever it is for you it's going to come back to homeostasis similarly the subconscious mind wants homeostasis um, a good example of this is, you know, you don't have to keep learning how to ride a bike. You learn it and you always know how to ride a bike or play an instrument or, you know, these things. So the, the subconscious mind learns it and now it has it. You don't have to keep rethinking about how to drive a stick shift. Yeah, you, that's, one of, that's one of the big things. Like you look at it, let's say, you know, I have, you know, it's a, it's a big trope, you know, and it's really true. Somebody who's very overweight, who has the sort of identity, the, the, you know, personality where he's called, you know, big Tom or, you know, big Jerry, right? Like that's not only forming your habit, but it's also forming your personality. And that part of your subconscious mind really needs to be rewritten. If you really, totally. oh my gosh, yesterday I had a client and he said, you know, his dad, was a player mm-hmm. and his uncles were players and his grandpa was a player and he fell into this player kind of role. And he says, it's a family curse. I'm like, stop. Yeah. The more you talk about a family curse, the more you perpetuate this feeling that there's, it's an, it's an inevitability. Yeah. You, yeah. you can break the curse right now. Stop talking about a family curse. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually working in a lab right now at Indiana University. and We're studying that exact topic. It's literally, you know, do we have self-fulfilling prophecies? Totally. It's called it's called a feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. And, it, you know, the best thing is, like, you can use it to your advantage. Like, we, oh, of course, like we have this long tradition in, let's say, the last 2000 years that you pray 
right? This is a Christian tradition, obviously. You pray and you say, okay, God, let me solve this problem. And then the answer just comes to you. And you say, okay, you know what? A rationalist could easily come to the conclusion that because you believe that you could solve the problem and also because it was just staying on your mind that it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course. By the way, Muslims pray and Jews pray and Hindus pray. And uh, <laughs> it's not just a Christian. Uh, and some prayer, there's a great deal of, uh, in my first book, Take Charge of Your Cancer, I, I cover a whole uh, uh, area of the research on prayer and healing. Mm. And... Um, and so if you listen, if you listen to people like Dr. Bruce Lipton, you know, and, and epigenetics and the ability to modulate our own uh, genetic expression. And, um, and if you look at things like the placebo effect, right? So um, any drug that goes to market has to do better than the sugar pill, which works 30% of the time. <laughs> I mean, the sugar pill, they've even done with knee surgery. They told them they were doing knee surgery they went in and they did, and they didn't do the surgery and, and the knee was better. Yeah. And so conversely, conversely, there's the nocebo effect. There was a study, there was a study in the sixties of medical students, 70 some odd percent of medical students suffered the symptoms that they were studying. You can make yourself sick or you can make yourself better. And the, the thing is, you know, we're coy. You can't, it can't be Debbie Downer three quarters of the day, seven eighths of the day, and then stand in the mirror and do Stuart Smiley affirmations and think it's going to, you know, it's got to be consistent behavior. Yeah. You, and you can't like in your, in your example of the prayer, you can't, this is what people do. They throw up petition prayers. God, if you just get me out of this one, I, I promise never. And the God's like, where have you been, you know, the rest other six days of the week, <laughs> you yeah. know, you got to, because you guess, guess what? God lives right here. It's not some bearded man in the sky. God energy is love energy. Love is your birthright. It resides in your heart center. It's opposite is fear. Yeah. Love gives rise to all positive emotions. Fear gives rise to all negative emotions. And at any moment, you can pick an icon, like a red heart, a red rose, a peace sign, Jesus, whatever me, whatever picture says to you love and bring it into your heart space. And you can change everything. And I always, whether you know, in the consultation, whether they work with me or not, I give them that. And I'm, I'm like, pick a, choose a picture and do this 50 times a day. And soon it'll be 45 and soon it'll be 36 and then 24 and then 15 and then eight. And then a couple, then you get to the point where just a couple of times a day, you have to remind yourself to bring love into your heart space. Because when you're walking around in fear, you're triggered. You're on your autonomic nervous system. You're, you're walking around in fight or flight, which means you're highly suggestible. Uh, we we are in mass hypnosis right now. Hmm. You know what? Uh, the fear. The, you know, turn off your television. Throw throw away the television. Like get rid of this thing. It's it's called programming. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. Anyway, so this constant threat. You know, case rates and death rates and uh, variants and people are like oh and they're and now they're researching. Now I'm an expert in the variant. You know, look at all the Facebook experts that you know the about. And never mind that they don't read the, the studies and you know the, the actual studies um yeah but, but i mean that's a huge thing like you know especially in terms of like facebook and media and all these things you know i'm a marketing major right and the thing about marketing is that if any marketer comes along and says we are going to influence the conscious brain of all the people we are going to make them cognitively want this they're going to get kicked out of the room right yeah that's not what you say you don't say it that way you do it you do it that way so you know, there's three things needed for a uh, hypnotic modality. Mm -hmm. 
authority, a doctrine or a paradigm, and you have to feel something. Explain number two. A doctrine or a paradigm? Yeah. Um, you know, a story like, you know, okay, so, so here's my authority. See, mm -hmm. it's up on the wall. The doctrine or paradigm is hypnotherapy. I'm going to put you in a trance. I'm going to give you suggestions and you're going to change. That's the paradigm. That's the, uh, and then do you feel something? Well, of course you feel deeply relaxed when you're in my chair. So, but let me give you some other examples. Lab coat and stethoscope, mm -hmm. medical books and medical school. That's the doctrine or paradigm, allopathic medicine. And do you feel something when you go to the doctor? You can be hopeful. You can be scared. You can be sad. You get good test results. Yay, you're related. Not a good place to have your blood pressure taken. The white coat syndrome, you know what I mean? So, so that's medicine is a hypnotic modality. <laughs> Here's another one. Here's another one. The white collar, the good book. Choose anyone. The Torah, yeah. the Quran, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita. And do you feel something when you're in temple, mosque, or church? Of course. Yeah. That's a that's a hypnotic modality. Okay, so hypnosis is ubiquitous it's everywhere drive time radio is expensive because highway hypnosis you're driving along you're driving along and you um you end up in the driveway and you don't remember the trip you were in hypnosis and you don't remember anything but the stuff you were hearing on the radio all that stuff is suggestible exactly. and actually influencing your subconscious that's right of course Wow, it's crazy. It's crazy. And like the craziest thing is we just have no idea how much it influences our lives. Like I spend all my time doing work, right? College, all of these things. And if you talk to anybody who's actually like experimented with themselves and try to figure out how can I get up in the morning? How can I be more productive? How can I increase motivation within myself? And they've succeeded at least a little bit. It's not done through carrot and stick. You can't do it. Like you just physically can't. Like I tried years ago, you know, every time I mess up, every time I don't wake up in the morning, I take a cold shower, you know, or I have to go for a run. What do I do? I just don't go for the run. Yeah. Oh, of course, avoidance behavior. Listen, you know, there, there's the studies on uh, classical and operant conditioning are long. You can't, we can, you know, get a reward. The bell rings we salivate, you know, the, yeah. it's just long and arduous and, um, and no one goes through it. I mean, look, we're an immediate society. We're like, we need it now. Then no one goes through these long, you know, classical conditioning type uh, uh, activities to arrive at a behavior. That's yeah. just, it's just really old. So they want it now. And most of them seek a pill. And hypnosis is, you can do it fairly quickly without the pill. That's why I went into it. But um, listen, I mean, in the context of what you're doing, um, you know, I've, I've helped people study. I've helped lawyers pass the bar. I've helped psychologists three time failures on their licensure test pass and get, you know, they're a PhD. They're operating under somebody else's license and have failed the licensure three times. They come to me. We did three sessions. They pass. So, you know, um, you're in a great place. I mean, you could set up a lemonade stand and be helping people study and pass tests. And, um, I'm, and I'm trying, that was my attempt to be funny, your lemonade stand, but you know, you really could, if, if, as long as you, you know, is your challenge is the marketing thing you're doing, right? You have to package this. And that's why, again, that's why I wrote the second book. Uh, you know, I, 
I'm, I don't get rich from book sales. I give it away. It's, you know, I mean, I do sell it when I speak at the back of the room and stuff, and it is on Amazon, but it's really an inducement, you know, to, to help people feel uh, comfortable doing what I do. And the, the amount, I mean, listen, I was a lobbyist for 25 years. I love the strategy. I love the, you know, the policy. I hated the politics and it made me sick and I walked away from it and I was divinely guided to do this. Mm. And I found my soul's purpose. You can read Eckhart Tolle's book, Awakening to Your Essential Purpose 25 times and still not figure out what your essential purpose is. You have to be quiet and still. You have to go inward. You have to, you know, you know, listen, prayer is when we talk to God and meditation is when we get answers. And so few people take the time to just be quiet and still. You don't have to contort your body and legs and hands and arms into some weird position. Just sit and be quiet and still for the first 10 minutes of every day. Get up, go to the bathroom, come back, sit, be quiet and still. Close your eyes. You can put some YouTube tones on. There's so many great things, binaural beats and stuff. I learned the old school way with breath and stuff, but now I have now I have a whole library of 432 hertz and and you know 528 hertz and you know and so and these binaural beats where I just put a tone or sometimes I get some Native American drumming. Yeah, yeah. And you just go in and you spend this quiet stillness and you shake the etch a sketch and clear the screen. Well, I'd love to hear the process. Like, you know, like I get essentially, you know, just to sum up your story really quickly, right? Just lived as a politician. Well, first was in the Marines, you know, then lived as a politician for 25 years, really shallow life, if if you could agree with me on that. And then get cancer, right? And yeah. how, how did you transition from a life where clearly you weren't quiet, right? Where your brain wasn't quiet, where it's it's very deceptive and there's all these lies. And also, you know, you're always active. You're always trying to outpace and outproduce other people to something where you're here. Yeah, it was, um, you know, a long, strange trip it's been. And, you know, to, to quote uh, the Grateful Dead, but um uh, you know, I didn't go to college right out of high school. I went in the Marine Corps. Then I got out of the Marine Corps. I worked in the oil fields and a rock plant like Fred Flintstone, making little rocks out of big rocks. I I then was climbing telephone poles, building cable TV, and my brother was killed in a car accident. I was 24. He was 22. And he was pre-med, and I, like, it hit me hard. And I, I cried, and I, you know, I just, like, I couldn't figure out. So then I just, I'm like, wow, okay, all right. I never had to try at all in school. I I I've been able to wing it at a very high level, you know, it's a, which is a curse, by the way, because yeah, I just walk in and just wing it, you know. And so anyway, um, I moved in with my mom. I, I walked onto a 25,000 student uh, community college campus in, in San Diego. I did speech and debate and student government and still got my AA in a year and a half. Transferred to Sac State, um, you know, the government, the seat of government in California. It's a nation state, um, the sixth or seventh largest economy in the world. Uh, the first semester... Uh, I was in the government department at, at Sac State, and I saw an internship, a paid internship, and I went after it, and I got it. And there were um, and term limits passed, and they cut the legislature's budget that year, and they hired me right out of the program. They got rid of the guy making fifty thousand and hired me making twenty five, and um, and so I became the reading clerk. And 
you know, when I was in high school, I was in Future Farmers of America, and I was the president of the parliamentary procedure team. So I stepping into the clerkship, I, you know, I, I already knew they use Robert, they don't use Robert's rules, they use Mason's manual of legislative procedure, but it's very similar. So anyway, I just stepped right in. And, you know, from clerk to consultant, I ran campaigns, I, um, uh, I became the committee consultant for the insurance and health committees. And then um, and then I was hired by the Medical Association to lobby for the doctors, the 30,000 physicians in California. And then um, I struck out on my own and, and started my own lobbying business. And I represented petroleum, energy, and automotive. But it was always the underdog. It was small energy against the um, monopoly utilities. It was the automotive aftermarket against the big car companies. It was small oil against big oil, you know. And so... Um, you know, I did it. I loved it. It, it, it was shallow in that it was very material. You know, I, I had a Porsches and Italian suits and a big 4,000 square foot house and a trophy wife. And, you know, it just, you know, it, it was, it was shallow uh, and it was materialistic and it was, um, and I thought all that made me happy. And then when I got sick and I, and I was facing losing it all, I, I've had a, you know, existential crisis. I'm just like, got, uh, and that's when I walked away from all of it. My ex-wife didn't handle it well. She, you know, took pills and, you know, just, it, it didn't, our, our marriage didn't survive. And there's, it, there's, it's never just about the cancer, right? And so I moved to LA and I was divinely guided to the, the there's a nationally accredited school of, in Los Angeles, um, 18 months, you know. Uh, How'd thousand. you get there? How'd you get, I, I need a little more than divinely guided. You, you okay. Just, you, you so, all right. So, so when I first moved down there, I, um, I took a job as an executive director of a trade association, very similar to the kind of stuff I was doing. I was leading, you know, a million dollar uh, a year, an association and these people, you know, they were metal finishers and they, you know, they chrome platers and, and, you know, your cell phones are, you know, the, all the components inside, they're, they're, they're dipped in gold and silver and precious metals. That's what these guys did. And, and, um, and I brought them into the 21st century and everything. And then I started to work on their ethics and they didn't renew my contract. And, uh, uh, and I'm like, oh shit, now what? And I had this experience. I had, okay, I'm going to get a little woo on you here. Um, I, I had a, I had a big Jeep, you know, and, and I, I built it into a monster, you know, big tires and, and coilovers and long arms and, and a winch on the front. And I'm walking out the day I was going to the office uh, for contract renewal at the one year mark, I was walking out of my house and the winch went, it had activated on the front. I'm not in the vehicle. The key is no, and it's on the accessory line from the, you know, you have to have the key in and turned on. Yeah. And I'm like, what was that? What, what? And then I go there and they, they don't renew my contract. They tell me I have an hour to clean my stuff out. Mm. And I, and I'm like, oh, and I've had other experiences like this before. I'm, I'm very sensitive. And, um, and, but, you know, I'm, as a Marine, as, you know, this hard charging lobbyist and stuff, I, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to any of it. Right. Yeah. So um, I saw psychic and she was beautiful, <laughs> this beautiful psychic in Los Angeles, very, very mystical. And, you know, and uh, she, and she said, Oh my gosh, you're so psychic. You're like, and so I started seeing her on a, you know, on a fairly frequent basis and, and getting insights and stuff. And she said, um, she sent me to the Hay House conference in Pasadena. Hay House, I don't know if you're familiar, it's a, it's a publishing 
company, very spiritual and new agey, Wayne Dyer, um, Louise Hay, both of whom have passed now, but Dr. Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, uh, Dr. Brian Weiss. There's a, just a lot of folks you may have heard of. Uh, and I went to this conference and I was just on fire. Like, I was one of five men at a conference of you know 5,000 people, but, um, but it really just opened my mind. And I, and I, had, I had read Wayne Dyer's Power of Intention and she was teaching me, my, my psyche was teaching me about the Archangels. And so I had written a letter to Archangel Michael. Dear Archangel Michael, <laughs> uh, I have these mad skills and people have paid me millions of dollars. Yeah. But I want to put myself into the service of others, but I don't know how. Please direct me to, so that I might put myself into the service of others. Very truly yours, Norman Plotkin. Took it in the backyard, lit it on fire. Why Burn you it off. Give saying? it to the universe. It's, you, 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 it's, it's transmutation. So I gave my message. Angels don't read. <laughs> so you, you light it on fire and you give this message to the universe. Okay. And um, then I went in back into the house and I went into my room and I closed the door. I was in my darkened bedroom and I did Japa meditation for 20 minutes. Am for 20 minutes. And my chest was just resonating. And then I stopped, you do this cool down for five minutes. And when I stopped my chanting, I experienced the most powerful energetic force come down the hallway through the closed door and stand right next to me. And I'm like, I'm afraid. I'm like, I don't want to open my eyes. And I was made to understand that there was no reason to be afraid. Huh. And I'm just, I am so in awe of what just happened. And then it was gone. And I opened my eyes, I'm like looking around. And I'm like, so I called Laura, Laura, you, you won't believe what I, the most amazing energy presence. I, I, what was it? Yeah. She said, you wrote a letter to Archangel Michael. Yeah. <laughs> you did Japa meditation for 20 minutes and you don't know who showed up. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. And so, so, and within, and then, so I'm thinking about becoming a coach and I'm researching coaching and I come across this couple, they're, they're married and they're psychologists and they're in New Hampshire. And they said, you know, we have this coaching school, but you know what? We do something extra. If you can use hypnosis in your coaching program, it, 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 it works so much better. And here's why, because people think you're doing something for them. And they told the story of this marketing campaign, this music company, um, the marketing campaign, they wanted to say, put music back in your life. And, and there, was a, there was a typo. There was an S added to put, and it said, puts music back in your life. And when people thought it was something, they were, it was being done for them, it was wildly successful. Really? Wow. And so they said that, so I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense. And the power of subconscious mind, I've read Joseph Murphy and I'm feeling powerful because I beat cancer and I, you know, and I was really, you know, focused and, you know, and um, all of these things. And so, um, but I'm not going to New Hampshire and I'm not taking a one week course. So I started researching hypnosis and lo and behold, I'm living in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. And that in Tarzana is hypnosis motivation institute the nationally accredited college of hypnotherapy with the residency program and um, very powerful and so um i was telling my girlfriend at the time and she says well i think i know somebody who went there 
I'm like, really? Can we have dinner? So we had dinner and I talked to her. She goes, oh, you'd be great for this. I'm like, really? What was your experience? Oh, she was great. You know, was, and so I made a call. I went over and, and never having been hypnotized, I signed up and paid cash for the. For never the, having been hypnotized. Yeah. Wow. See, yeah, I mean, there's so many leaps of faith in that story. Like Totally, totally. But I was, when you said, well, you got to give me more than I was divinely guided. Oh, right. Yeah. But, but don't you see the power of the divine guidance? Yeah. I, I knew it. It was, I had a knowing, not in the, here, I, down here. Yeah. Wow. And so I went and I never looked back. And I've, you know, it's, it's been seven years. I've, and, you know, I've had to work, you know, initially I, I had an old client call me and he, he had me cover 16 Western states. You know, I was in state capitals in 16 states lobbying bills for the automotive aftermarket. And I would do, and I would do um, hypnosis on nights and weekends. Really? Wait, so you were still working for the lobbying agency? Yeah. I mean, I, I closed my shop and I, I took a contract job and I was covering six. And so I was lobbying in Hawaii and, and uh, New Mexico and Colorado and wow. uh, Arizona and Oregon and Washington. And I'm flying everywhere and, um, and nights and weekends. When I wasn't traveling, I was doing hypnotherapy. Where would you and do it? I had an office in, oh. uh, yeah, in Burbank. And so I set up right by NBC Studios mm -hmm. on, on Olive Avenue. It was a really cool little office. And I, I joined the Business Networking International, BNI, and I was, you know, but it, it's hard. It's hard to make, you know, it's hard to build a practice. you got, number one, it's a modality that people are circumspect of. And number two, building trust and a practice and it takes money to get your name out there and and stuff and you know my girlfriend's like get a job i'm like no you don't understand i'm divinely guided yeah yeah well talk about like the difference in quality of life you know like from being we'll say first life and second life honestly well second life and third life because the first life was the marine corps and the oil fields and the but anyway um so so i used to think i ate stress bring it you know i'd come in i i did uh you know my calendar was I, I didn't keep i kept my calendar here and i'd i'd come in and log on to my computer and then you know just take it as it came you know yeah. uh winging it at a very high level just walk over the capitol i knew what time of year it was i knew you know what what deadlines were just based you know because i was very familiar with the whole process and but it was stressful 2008 you know, um, I lost $300,000 a year in business, you know, going, it does, you know, oh, oh, gee, you, you're only making 300 instead of 600, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, the material, then it's, but it's, it was rough. It was very difficult. It was very difficult to do. Yeah. And it was hard. It was stressful. And, and so, um, so now I work eight to eight, six days a week and I, it's not even what like I, there's no stress in my, my biggest stress is, oh my gosh, I've got a, I've got a client who has MS mm -hmm. and she's trying to walk again after 10 years. And her physical therapists have told her that she's got a block. And, you know, when people have blocks, they're supposed to go see a hypnotherapist and we've done two sessions and I, you know, how do I get through to her? She's, you know, she said, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Cause it's not working. And I'm, I'm like, I, you know, I, 
I told her that there were no guarantees. So let's try three sessions and see if we can make, but it may need six. And, and at the end of six, you may not see radical change. And do you want to keep spending money on it? Like, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to research the, you know, and so. That's what Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. So, but I don't stress, I don't leave sleep over it. I just really am committed to, to do everything I can. I've got a client who has IBS, who's done the research and understands that, that the, that there's a, there's one diet that FODMO or what FODMAP diet or hypnotherapy. And, and, and that's the two things that work for IBS. And so I, I just got on, I just bought some research out of Australia. I bought a, I bought a, a an academic um, program on the latest approach to IBS because, you know, because, you know what I mean? This is, I want this, I want this, uh, I want this to really help her. She's lost a child recently. And, uh, you know, it's really, really difficult. Um, and these are difficult times, you know, so, so, um, but, uh, you know, it's a different, it's a different kind of stress. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not stress at all. Like, I love it. I, and my office is full of crystals and, and, and sage and I smudge and I, um, I meditate deeply and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful. My mantra is love, kindness, gratitude, forgiveness. And this is what I say over and over and over every day in my meditation. And I breathe in love for myself and I exhale kindness to others. I breathe in gratitude for myself and I exhale forgiveness to others. And I lead a meditation, a virtual meditation on, uh, on Zoom every Saturday night, uh, 7 p.m. And I, you know, and so, um, and I write a 2000 word essay every, every week. And I'm like, every week I'm on, I'm on a deadline. I'm like, Oh God, why do I do this? And I'm like, I know I do this. And, you know, I'm helping people. And it's the Maharishi effect. We're lit. We're raising, we're raising consciousness and, and um, mo- helping move the needle toward the fifth dimension. But I don't, I don't have any trouble getting up in the morning. I race into town and on my motorcycle and can't wait to work 12 hours. It's not even work. It's not even work. I love it. And, and, you know, the greatest reward, man, yesterday I had, I had three clients who were making so much, I mean, of the clients, you know, everybody brings different stuff and there's resistance and there's, you know, there's half-heartedness and, you know, there's, there's doubt on the part of the client. And when there's doubt, you know, and then there, and then there are those who are just committed, they believe in it and the, the, seeing them make so much progress. I had a, a, a woman who came and she was crushed after a breakup. And we just finished our sixth session and she hugged me. And I'm like, I, I wish everybody could make it's the progress that you did. It's just amazing to watch. And I'm so ha- happy for you. And she's like, I'm so grateful, you know? And so, you know, all, everyone leaves better than, you know, walking out my door, they're better than when they came in. Yeah. I even had a guy, I had a guy, he called and he was, he was out there, you know, they're trying to kill me. You know, the grays have have implanted a, a, um, an emotional uh, block or, you know, something uh, or some, a program. And I need you to help me block their, the grays program that's been installed. He lives on the street. He shows up, you know, wearing a jean jacket with the arms cut off and a machete, you know, on his belt, and a, and a Navy camo hat, real boonie hat and stuff. Anyway, he, he, on the phone, he, you know, 
he was, and I said, well, come on in, we'll do a consultation. Okay. And so he, I didn't hear from him. And then he did, he called back. He said, I'm ready now. I said, well, come on in. So he comes in, we do a consultation. And I told him the pricing structure. He bought a three pack. He plunked down his ATM card and he spent $450. Wow. I'm like, okay, okay. So I took him through three sessions, removing the Gray's emotional attack and blocking it. And okay, you meet people where they are. Yeah. I helped him. So where did he end up? Was he just he's not been, paranoid anymore? Like, um, no, he's, I mean, he lives on the street and, but, and he'll, he'll come up with a new malady, I'm sure. But the Gray's emotional sabotage is blocked. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, you know, but I've helped people lift fibromyalgia after nine years. The doctors, all they could give them was pain pills. No one asked her what was going on in her life when it started. You know, I've helped, I've helped people, um, you know, soccer moms are great uh, in terms of referrals. I helped a soccer mom, her daughter, her son was on my son's soccer team. I told her what I did. She goes, oh my gosh, my daughter has gone off to UCSB and she's straight A's, captain of the soccer team. She went to Santa Barbara and fell apart. She cries, calls crying every day. Yeah. And so I just helped her with her separation anxiety. Mm. And, and mom was so grateful. The daughter loved me. Next thing I know, I got her cousin who stutters. And, uh, and you know, her. she had a brother who was a golden boy who sucked the oxygen out of every room she ever walked in. And she began to stutter at a very early age for attention. Wow. But they never, they didn't see that. They didn't understand it. So brother, so in one of the sessions, I, um, you know, she said, oh, oh I'm, my mom and I are mad at my brother. I'm like, oh, tell me about your brother. Oh, he was home from Stanford. And, you know, he just pisses us off. And so I'm like, oh, tell me more about him. Oh, he's a golden boy. Oh, it's sports uh, on scholarship to Stanford. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, here's what happened. You began to stutter to get attention because you couldn't get attention because he got all the attention. Are you ready to stop? She said, Heck, yes. Three sessions. No more stutter because she understood where it started and was ready to give up the behavior. Now, conversely, I had a 77 year old man and we lifted his stuttering. And three months later, he started stuttering again. I'm like, what happened? He said, it's who I am. I'm 77, I ain't changing. I'm like, okay, as long as you're ready to own it. You know what I mean? It's not because the hypnotherapy didn't work. It's because that's the way you wanna be. And that's a conscious, that's a conscious decision, not a subconscious decision. Yeah. Well, okay. So I have a question. So you overcame cancer twice, if I'm correct. It was the same and it came back. I, after radiation, it, um, a, a subsequent scan showed that it had come back. So did hypnosis, was hypnosis like a big part of the treatment for that? Or was it just you were healed through modern technology? I, I would not let them take my thyroid today if I had it to do over again. But I went through the allopathic cut burn poison. And, um, and so they, they removed my thyroid and five lymph nodes. And, um, and, um, what, and I just, well, what's the cause? What's the result of that? You lose your thyroid. Yeah. And the result of that is I have no thyroid, which is the, which is the organ that mm, regulates your whole metabolism. So I have to take a pill every day. Oh, okay. And, um, and so um, the first book is Take Charge of Your Cancer, The Seven Proven Steps to Healing and Recovery. 
And so what I, I wrote about the things that I learned because modern treatment is, is disempowering. Get a second opinion, go where you're told. Yeah. Uh, it's very disempowering. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's like, you, you got no skin in the game. Yeah. And that's why people don't recover. And so um, I did a bunch of research afterwards and it turns out reading books like uh, Kelly Turner's, Dr. Kelly Turner's um, Radical Remission, there's about 10 or 12 things that people who've survived a, a bad prognosis do. And I just wrote about the seven things that I learned about. I didn't learn about hypnosis until afterwards, but meditation, diet, uh, releasing repressed emotions. Uh, um, you know, I had, I didn't see a psychologist. I saw a PhD, but she, she was a medical intuitive. She helped me on a spiritual level. She encouraged me to write and um and told me about the hero's journey you know and so um so um these are the things i learned i didn't learn about hypnosis until later but now i'm certified in hypnotherapy for cancer clients and i've had numerous cancer clients who have i who i've helped and um and it's really a book about empowering giving you empowering things to do radically change your diet deepen your spirituality learn to meditate Release yeah, your yeah. repressed emotions. Commune with your subconscious mind. Take charge of your health care. You, no one's got as much skin in the game as you do. And finally, have a reason to live. Don't just not want to die. Well, that's the thing. Like, it seems like, in my estimation, that, you know, those people suffering with cancer, you know, with cancer diagnoses, and, you know, they're sort of on their last limb, or at least they're, they're faced with their last limb, is it's an existential problem, which cannot be cured by anything like your traditional drugs that we experience. You know, one of the things that is so powerful and has been clinically proven to help cancer patients is psychedelics, right? And psychedelics is clearly something like a spiritual cure, whatever the final estimation, uh, whatever it is in the final estimation on that, but it doesn't matter, right? Like it has this spiritual element of it. And that seems to be the thing that brings some sense of, you know, existential cure. Yeah. So. I'm studying shamanism now, um, and um, awesome. So, uh, you know, it was it's so cliche. I had to find the right master. I had to, I, you know, I've done some academic uh, um, inquiry into it, and um, and but you know what I mean. It's so people are drinking ayahuasca and, and you know doing little circles and stuff and everything, and I'm like. Yeah. I, I just had to wait until I was, you know, I've learned trance work now. I'm really good at it. And now I'm going to, and now I'm taking it, but here's, so, you know, the universe has a code of four modern uh, scientists have, have found the, the genetic code. There's the four, right. A G C E, right. The, um, uh, DNA has a code a four a four code. Well, the shamans for fifty thousand years have you know north, south, east, west, um, and the four brains. Mm -hmm. And so, um, shamanic healing, you have to you have to set aside the emotions of the limbic brain and get at that. Um, that neocortex hmm. uh, where wow. the where the emotions are where the feelings are 
And because the emotions, what we do is we have an imprint. So if I ask you, why do you do that? And you say, well, 10 years ago, this happened. Yeah. You won't remember the details. This is Dr. Joe Dispenza, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't remember the details of what happened. In fact, you'd recite it incorrectly. What you remember is how it made you feel. Because when you have an experience, it creates a feeling. A feeling creates an emotion. And that emotion gets imprinted in your body. Emotions are long-lasting. If you, yeah. They're long-lasting. Feelings are transitory. Right? So neocortex, feeling, transitory. Emotion, limbic, and long-lasting. And so... Um, so in the shamanic tradition, we have to get at that emotion that's imprinted in your body, that family curse, that, um, that trauma that you haven't resolved. That you, so here, here's another. So Dr. Carl Simonton, he was a, a, a radiological oncologist in, in the 70s, and he saw a lot of cancer patients. And he, and he came up with a, a, a theory that... Um, when we have these traumatic experiences that, and, and if they're not, if we're not able to resolve them, they, they become, you know, repressed and shoved down into our gut. And, um, and by the way, trauma is cumulative. If you have subsequent traumas now, um, it reinforces your view on the world. Exactly. And so you become hypervigilant and, and when you're on the passage of time and you're unable to resolve these repressed emotions, the subconscious mind perceives death as a way out of the pain. You're not even aware of the pain. You, you can see it in some of your maladaptive behaviors, mm-hmm. but we're not even, we're not consciously aware of this emotional pain that we're suffering from something that happened a long time ago. I do inner child with almost everyone. It's really? yeah. Inner child and the garden of life where we rake up all the dead old leaves of people and things that have hurt them and into a big pile and light them in fire and plant new seeds. It's, it's so critical. And it's it, to connect them with, you know, we all have these sub personalities and the uh, chief among them is the inner child. Anyway. So back to Simonton, the, um, the subconscious mind believe, perceives death as a way out of the emotional pain and will begin to modulate your uh, immune system and, uh, and, your, and your gene expression. And, and it, you'll begin to produce disease. I always ask people, you know, what was going on in your life when this started? And I do things, and you'll like this, I do things like um, uh, the ar- arm stiffening. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that procedure okay so what you do is when you take them deep in hypnosis and and you um and then you 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 tell them you're going to touch their arm and you lift it up and just you know make it very loose and limp and you and you and you support it like this and i said okay now and you get very paternal now i want you to put all that pain all that pain and suffering all everything all that anger and pain i put you put it in your arm and make it stiff as a board stiff it stiffer stiffer like a telephone pole like a rod like a steel rod make it stiff stiff and then let it go Okay. And it just dropped the arm. That's it. Straight yeah, yeah. Okay. It goes from stiff as a rod to limp, ragdoll. And another great book, The Body Keeps the Score. So it's, so what we do is we somatize these emotional problems into our body. Mm-hmm. And it, these are all emotional problems that manifest as physical, unexplained physical maladies. And so what I do, what I do is I, I you know, I get it out of their body. And that's, <sighs> Yeah, it's super cool to see, to see, you know, to see them, like I'll say, well, you know, 
are you ready to give this up? Well, if I could give it up, I'd have done it years ago. I'm like, yeah, but if you can, if you could give it up, are you ready? Well, yeah. And then I do that. And then I do that. I do that arm stiffening. And then like, like with fibromyalgia uh, client, the the one I'm most proud of nine years. And um, I, I did the arm stiffening and had to let it go. And then we, you know, we did some more stuff and I, I told her, I, you know, I'd asked her what, what life would look like, what would she would do if it, and all the things I wrote copious notes about what it would life would look like and all the things that she would do and who she would do it with. And I said, I want you to imagine now it's gone and it's never coming back and you can get your life back to normal and you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to visit them and you're going to go here and you're going to do all the, and I, everything that she told me, I gave it right back to her in hypnosis. Okay. And I said, okay, now when you're ready to let this go, when you're ready to be done with this, and when you're ready to get your life back, your arm is going to begin to lift and rise, lifting, rising, rising, lifting. Your arm will just begin to lift and rise okay. and, and nothing happened. And when I was a brand new hypnotherapist, I would have been mortified, but I'm not. I'm patient, lifting and rising. When you're ready, when you're ready to let this go, your arm will begin to lift and rise. Nothing. Then I'm quiet for a while. Okay, when you're ready, lifting and rising, rising, lifting, lifting, rising, rising, lifting. And all of a sudden, it began to jerk, small jerking motions, lifting and rising, rising and lifting, small jerking motions, all the way up. That's right. When you're ready, it's going to go. I'd already preconditioned her to an arm, her arm being up like that. I already preconditioned her because I made her arm up here and really. And so I already preconditioned her to an arm raising. And now I'm telling her that when she's ready to be done with this, her arm is going to lift and rise, rising and lifting, lifting and rising. And all of a sudden, she's here like this. And her arm is sticking straight. <laughs> My congratulations, it's gone. Now we're going to come up from zero to five. Zero, let's shut the door of the subconscious mind and block all negatives. One, slowly and calmly coming up out of the state of hypnosis. Two, physically aware, mentally alert. Three, coming up higher. Four, eyes beginning to open. Five, eyes open wide awake. One, two, three, four, five, eyes open wide awake. And she, and here's her arm sticking straight out. And so the first <laughs> thing she sees is her arm sticking straight out, demonstrating that her body said, I'm ready to get rid of this. Wow. And what was her reaction? Wow. <laughs> just like yours was. And so we finished up. I'm like, okay, all right. And I said, I'm okay. I'm going to give you two weeks to just let this. And two weeks later, I pinged her. I'm like, ready for your next session? And I'm like, hold my breath. Yeah. She said, yes, 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 I'm ready. I'm like, and then, now I'm like, oh, what do you want to work on? Yeah, not I'm hold, now I'm holding my breath. Oh, no. She goes, motivation. I've been sleeping in and depressed for so long. I don't know how to, I want my freaking life back. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's gone. Now she wants motivation because she wants to learn how to live again. Exactly. Right. She got rid of the negative. She's done with the negative. It's over. It's all positive. That's right. So what she did was she had been going through an, a terrible divorce and custody and she had, she had been in the air force. She was very strong, very tough and executive in the man's world, you know, working in the legislature and, yeah. and, um, and, her body was super strong, but her, she was an emotional marshmallow, but she never let anybody see that. I saw it because we spent a lot of time in therapy, but, um, she, no one else saw it. She's a really tough exterior, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she shoved this emotional pain into her body because she knew she was strong and could take her body was strong and could take it. So she somatized this emotional pain and it became this list of autoimmune symptoms that go into the bucket that just get pills you know what i mean so see what i mean 
So well, the, same, the thing is, I'm starting to understand why like traditional therapy, like, you know, the therapy of like, you know, if you go to a psychological counselor, right? I'm starting to understand why it's very ineffective. This is one of the things Timothy Leary pointed out in 1960 and the reason why he did a lot of bad things. But one of the first thing that he realized was traditional therapy, if you have your regular people who go into therapy, 33% heal, 33% stay the same and 33% get worse. And then if you have the people who are on the waiting list who never got into therapy, 33% heal, 33% stay the same and 33% worse. What's what's going on here? What's going on here? And it's nothing is good. Nothing is going on. That's that's the problem. Nothing is going on. I have people come to me after six, seven, eight, nine years in therapy. I'm like, didn't you wonder about year three if this was going to work was working for you? Yeah, I'm three, six or 12 sessions. If I can't help you in 12 sessions, I, I have people come and they buy a you know six month package but they're older and they you know dealing with a lot of stuff you know and or they've had a condition for a long time and it's very but for the most part we'll get it done in 12 sessions well think about it this way you know like i'm starting to understand at the same time like given all your stories and all these things i'm understanding why it's so hypnosis is so taboo you know hypnotherapy is just not at the top it's like first of all it flies in the face of science like okay here's this you know, completely divine subconscious mind that we can't even understand. I'm going to try to rein it down and, you know, influence it. And then at the same time, it, yeah, like it flies in the face of all of the, the psychological counselors who are saying, you know what, here are the acute differences that we could, that we could create from, from psychological testing and psychological studies. Yeah. Um, the good news is, you know, I, the research I did, it was so funny. Uh, King Louis in France held an inquisition on uh, on uh, Mesmer, you know, who was claiming all of these capabilities. And, and even Ben Franklin was on the, um, the, the panel that did the investigation and uh, the emerging new medical societies. And they looked into it and they, and they, because it was all anecdotal, and, you know, Mesmer was a little crazy. He said, you know, there was animal magnetism and it was, and there was none of that. It was, but he was onto something. And, um, but what they said at the time was it had more to do with Mesmer's personality influencing people than anything else. And so um, the problem for hypnosis has been that it's been anecdotal and subjective, yeah. right? But now we've got people like Dr. David Spiegel at Stanford, who's doing the research, right? Now we have measurement devices, functional MRIs. So let me read to you what Spiegel says is going on in hypnosis. So here's a, here is an objective uh, description. So Spiegel's recent research has demonstrated a drop in activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate, part of the salience network of the brain, a context decoder, or in layperson's terms, a part of the brain that alerts you to what you should pay attention to and what you can ignore. This part of the brain, which fires up when there's something to worry about, actually calms down during hypnosis. A second change was observed in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain where you plan things and carry out routines, and the insula, a part of the brain that helps regulate body functions. These two parts of the brain began syncing up in their connectivity, like altering blood pressure and heart rate. This suggests that during hypnosis, the brain intensifies its connection to the body, we can see evidence of this when the hypnotized individual experiences a slower heart rate and rhythmic breathing, 
with a likely corresponding decrease in blood pressure. At the same time, other areas of the brain become less connected during hypnosis. The researchers saw more of a disconnect between the same region of planning and routines, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, and a part of the brain characterized by self-reflection. In hypnosis, people tend to do things without reflection. As a result, people will sometimes do embarrassing or silly things in staged hypnosis shows. They're not thinking about it. They're just doing it. So one thing I do want to say, so one of the things that you, a little neuroscience lesson, you know, you talked about the dorsal antigular cortex, uh, cingulate, and that is the part of the brain when you said it deactivated, that, that just blew my mind. That's the part of the brain that ruminates on things. You know, it's a part of the brain that's like, all right, you know what? I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. Oh, you're bothering me. You're bothering me. Bother me. You know, I'm getting anxious. I'm getting anxious. I'm getting anxious. It's the one that continues the thoughts. And you're saying when there's decrease in that, I could see the crazy benefit that comes from it. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, it's that broken record that's, it's, it's, you know, we all have this on onboard dialogue and um, it's, you know, the ego is driving it and, and the prefrontal cortex is is um, is carrying it out, carrying out this this dialogue, and what happens in hypnosis? Well, here's what I I, I explain it this way: think of it as that conscious mind, that part of your mind that's that is ruminating, is a Labrador retriever, and I throw it a stick, and it's off chasing a stick while I talk to the subconscious mind. <laughs> so how do you do you do that with you with an induction, right? Yeah. That is, yeah. that's the induction is the stick that I throw the conscious mind. So I always, you know, I, I try and dissuade people from coming in for one, you know, and I, I charge higher for a single session because the first one, we're not, it's an introduction. Yeah. Your, your, your conscious mind is going to be hovering. You're going to be kind of sleeping with one eye open. Your, wow. your dukes are up, you know? And so um, I always, that first session it's, you know, I, um, it's always that introduction to allow them to feel it, to experience it, to understand that they're not going to blab all their deepest, darkest secrets. It's not like a shot of sodium pentothal. They're going to, you know, truth serum and stuff. I, I need you to be truthful. I need you to blab all your deepest, darkest secrets in the cognitive part. That's how I help you over here, you know, in the chair. So anyway, the point to all that is that it's completely objectified now. We know what's going on. We know why it works. And it scares the pharmaceutical industry because, listen, I was a lobbyist for the physicians uh, at a time when um, the psychologists really wanted to prescribe. And so did the psychiatrists. And they came up with this, um, this theory called um, a chemical imbalance. Mm. It's a chemical imbalance, a lack of serotonin or, you know, what I mean, it's like, and so here we're going to give you these pills to rebalance your feel good chemistry. Depression. Well, but there's no baseline. There's no baseline. There's no imbalance. Everyone's different. It, it, it's a way to be a real doctor and because real doctors prescribe. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. Like they, they give these things called serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors, which is the big thing for depression. And in the eighties, they had so much like, Oh, there's so much potential and all this stuff. If you give someone it now, they barely outperform the placebo and it, you, know. you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, right? The, um, in the current melee, uh, uh, allopathic medicine is going to suffer terribly in the aftermath of what we're currently experiencing. And by the way, back to, back to the three things for the modality, mm -hmm. authority, 
doctor in paradigm feel something. Doctors Fauci and Burks, virology and epidemiology. Are people feeling something? Yeah, scared because they're watching case counts and death counts and all this. It's hypnosis. It's mass hypnosis. And I'm getting, there's a lot of people coming to me triggered from old traumas because of the current one that's in their face. Interesting. So what do you do? So what's the solution to that? That's a great question. So you're struggling with something like mass hypnosis, right? Isn't that really what school is at the same time? You know, you're in school and you have teacher with accreditation. What are you trying to feel? Learn, you know, either learning, learning, fear, right? Fear in terms of, okay, I need to get an A in this class. I need to get into college. Of course, they're going to try to make you feel something. Oh yeah. School is another, that's a good, another good example. Absolutely. The teacher is the authority. The doctor and paradigm is liberal arts or whatever uh, subject you're uh, studying. And do you feel something? Yes. Pressure to perform. So how do you overcome something like, well, essentially, well, first of all, the reason why they're doing this is because it makes you more susceptible to learning, right? You're going to be able to more suggestible. You're going to be able to learn more, right? So how do you overcome, essentially, first of all, the learning from the past that you've been wired to do? And also, how do you, well, protect yourself from mass hypnosis in the future? Pink Floyd. Teacher, leave us kids alone. No. Um, uh, so... You know, it was really hard last year. And at the beginning of 2020, my girlfriend is an acupuncturist and she's from China. She's a, a, a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and an herbalist and very spiritual. She's a Qigong master and we meditate deeply and, and we lead meditations and we, you know, we do stuff together. We're so on the same plane. It's, it's amazing. But um, we, we do vision boards every year and we hold vision board parties where we bring people over and we have done some magazines and we lead, you know, workshops on building a vision board. Yeah. And in a uh, man, in the beginning of 2020, we're doing our 2020 vision, man. We're going to see our way to help more people. And the 2020 vision that came was not what was expected. What, what would really happened was the veil was lifted off my eyes and I, I saw how nothing is as it seems, the, the corruption, uh, how both parties are the same, you know, it's the same. There's a Native American, you know, have you ever, you ever consider the left wing and the right wing are on the same bird? You know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, they argue, and but nothing ever changes. And they fight. I'm fighting for you. Bullshit. I mean, you know, it's just like. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, come on. Like, I vote, I did, I voted this year right? Or last year. And I didn't vote for Trump or Biden. I voted for Joe Jorgensen because I said, I was like, if I vote for, uh, essentially that exact philosophy just stated perfectly. I was like, if I'm going for either wing, I'm picking the same bird. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm assuming your, your problem that you experienced was something like corruption, something like, you know, we'll say institutions, right? Institutions as being the problem. Oh, it, it, it's all it's all corrupt and it's more so now than ever. Yeah, it's little fiefdoms and you know and um, you know they being in politics. You know it was you know they pass laws for everybody and then carve out their buddies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, in politics, I can imagine like you had the inside scoop of all that. Like you ever seen House of Cards? I don't have a television. I don't own a television. I, I get asked that a lot. Um, 
uh, you know, Hollywood can never uh, fully capture the depravity. You know, it, the dramatizations mm-hmm. pale in comparison to real life. Wow. Yeah. Um, they do petty shit like, you know, the speaker would put two people that don't like each other next to each other. You know, they'd punish you they'd put you and make you and your whole office move to the broom closet, which is the smallest office, you know. Wow. Um, uh, they, they would, you know, they would pick off, you know, someone who got picked on, they would, they would bring them in and have them turn. Yeah. It's just, um, the, the, the pettiness is, you know, every, every every Wednesday, every Wednesday, the speaker would get a blow job in his office and everybody knew, I mean, it's just from one of the people, many, one of the many, I'll never forget when I saw my friend one day I, I was, I was busy. I'd been gone because I was running a campaign and I had my candidate there at the back of the, because I could get in and out everywhere. I knew people everywhere. And so I, I was at the back of the chambers during a session and it was Wednesday afternoon and the big door from the speaker's conference. I hear boom, it closes and I look and there's my friend and her blouse is undone down to here and her hair is all frumpled. And I'm look, I'm like, it's Wednesday. After-. I'm like, no, not you. Yeah. Well, what was her position? Was she uh, just a low-level secretary, or you know? No, she was a high-level consultant. And really, I can't, you know, I can't give details because it would give yeah. away. Yeah, it's just, it just, you know, hmm. it's low, uh, shallow. Shallow is the perfect way of saying it. It is very shallow. It's it, and it's more. So look, look, life is more like high school or even junior high than college, right? We think, you know, we think. It's intellectual and there's these pursuits and everything. No, it's petty and juvenile. And that's what 25 years of realizing how petty and juvenile it was made me sick. Because I had, call me naive, call me starry-eyed. I thought that, you know, anyway. What? What? No, say it. Something like Well, I thought it was elevated. I thought it was, you know, I studied the, the founding fathers. I studied the documents, I, the enlightenment and, you know, all this lofty stuff. And I, I bought in hook line, hook, line and sinker. And it's, it's not lofty. It's petty and uh, shallow and, you know, vindictive. And, you know, and so the world I live in is wonderful and dreamy. And people come to me with their problems. And I listen with un- unconditional positive regard. And I help them navigate it using the power of their subconscious mind. And they leave better than they came. What a wonderful world that is. Yeah, it sounds pretty nice. Hey, I, I, I really respect what you do. I really appreciate what you do. Like, you know, this is this this to me is something like real change, you know, real work. And it's like, you know, we look for acute results in in small drug trials and, you know, clinical therapy over years and months and Sigmund Freud said somebody should be there for 10 years, you know, like this is, this is, this is three sessions. It almost feels too good to be true. I know that's what it's like. It's, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say just how powerful it is because it sounds like a panacea, but it is, you know, Freud, Freud, before he created psychoanalysis, he was tried hypnotherapy. Did he really? He, yeah. But he sucked at it because he was too authoritarian. 
and people were doing things to please him. You know, they were suggestible and they were, you know, and it was, it was one of the criticisms, the early criticisms it had of hypnosis is that it had more to do with the power of the personality of the, of the hypnotist yeah, and Freud and Freud and even Jung. Um, you know, I love Carl Jung. I mean, I love the archetypes. I read tarot cards. I trust, I've read all of Carl Jung. Trust. Yeah, so I I study uh, tarot under a psychologist who's written five books on tarot and psychology. He's a Jungian analyst and the archetypes and how we, you know. Anyway, um, the Human Givens Project, check that out there in England. If you're interested in hypnosis and hypnotherapy, check out the cool stuff they're doing there. Um, Dr. David Spiegel at Stanford. Uh, you know, so those are a couple of resources to help you dive deeper into hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And I'm serious about, you know, setting up shop for studying. I, I help people study. I help people take tests. Uh, there's so much help you could do just at the university. You think it's possible to do like a large group hypnosis session? Totally. Yes. Totally. Okay. Because yeah. I'm thinking I'm like, you know, you do very one-on-one -on -one individual sessions, but, you know, should it be like, can it, can it be completely wide range where you just do like a general hypnosis for focus and productivity? Yes, of course. Uh, even test taking. Yeah. Studying sleep. You know, I've done group hypnosis and <clears throat> you just room control. You really have to be, you really have to control everything. Now, if you do it on zoom, you know, you, again, you have to control muting, and, you know, and you have to give firm directions about how they have to behave and yeah. you have to frame it and set expectations. You really have to be in control. Gotcha. So trust me, I've had group things. Um, I was addressing the young executives at the city club in LA, the 32nd floor, you know, and I, I've had everything dialed. These are all very young professionals, lawyers and doctors and, and, um, what I didn't bargain for was the wait staff coming in the door and pouring ice water and people's yeah. you know, like, stop. And so I learned a valuable lesson about room control and about controlling everything, you know, being in control, not because I'm a control freak, but, but because you focus, yeah. focus. Yeah. So, yeah, I would encourage you to do it. It's on general topics. It's real easy to do. All right. All right. I'll let you know how it goes and thank you. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Stay in touch, Nick. Thanks. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Norman Plotkin. If you wish to find him, you can find him at www.normanplotkin.com. And just remember, this is a great quote by Peter Baskerville. The ignorant are ignorant of their ignorance. Stay good, my friends, and be well.